Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and as always, this is my co-host. And my name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are very excited to be talking to you about the 19... I never know when it is. 1998 sci-fi movie Dark City. First, there was darkness. Then came the strangers. They come when we sleep. Seeking a cure for their own mortality. To steal our thoughts. Our souls makes us different from them. To shape our memories. We have much to do. To take away that makes us human. It is time. Who are they? Answer But one of us knows their secret. You saw something, didn't you? I don't think the sun even exists. And one of us... We are running out of time. No escape. ...has the power to stop them. Okay, so we, do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do, I do. So as we said, this is a 1998 film. It was written and directed by Alex Proyas. It stars Rufus Sewell, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, Jennifer Connelly, Kiefer Sutherland, William Hurt, and some other people. Uh, and the plot line is... Uh, Shoot, I lost my I lost my synopsis. That we had. A man struggles with memories of his past, which include a wife he cannot remember and a nightmarish world no one else ever seems to wake up from. Well, that's cryptic and brief. It is. It, it is. Um, so, I think the movie gives away more than that in the first five minutes. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, you're, I we think both you're right. watched the director's cut, as it turns out, and I did a little research. I don't oh, okay, remember, good because I, I did not. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I don't remember the original well enough, so I looked up comparisons of the two, and it's the the uh, the director's cut has some color correction and a little enhanced uh, effects, and there's a, a some longer scenes. So there is some additional stuff they shot that had been trimmed out of the original theatrical release that he put back in, although mm-hmm. not a ton. And otherwise, it was the opening sequence. So in the original theatrical release, Kiefer Sutherland's character has a voiceover that apparently, according to many people, over-explains the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but But there's a hook of everybody in the city sort of falling asleep simultaneously um, that 
what was replaced by Kiefer Sutherland before we even know who he is kind of coming out of a building and checking his watch. And we're like a guy we don't know does a thing that doesn't make any difference to us. You know, so it's in some, in the one reviewer's thing, it's just, that's a softer thing than the nice hook, but losing the exposition in the beginning was good. So it doesn't seem Hmm. appreciably different. I looked at some of the color correction stuff side by side and the director's cut I think does look sharper and cleaner and moodier and he changed some of the chroma and made some of the blacks richer and deeper and made it the dark city more dark city ish. And so I think that's cool. Sure. So I'm glad we, we saw that. Yeah. I have the Blu-ray, which I had not ever watched previous to this and it had both versions on there. So you could just click either, you know, you want to watch the director's cut or you want to watch the regular one. So I just chose director's cut and then I, uh, we didn't discuss it or anything. And I thought later, I thought, oh, well, if these, if this is really different, you know, that might be a problem, but apparently you it's know, not really. One of the things that really struck me in rewatching this, and it occurs to me, it's been a long time actually since I saw this movie, is how many echoes of the Matrix there are here. Um, and I, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I was actually talking with somebody about the movie today who had never seen it. And they said, oh, it sounds like The Matrix. And I said, but it came out before The Matrix, right? Because this was 98, and I believe The Matrix was 99. So Yeah, and it made me wonder if, you know, that happens sometimes in Hollywood, where you'll get a couple of different movies on a very similar theme come out sort of shoulder to shoulder. Um, I feel like... Uh, Full Metal Jacket came out right shoulder to shoulder to uh, Platoon, you know, for, for one example. And yeah, they're different stories, but they're both about the kind of horrors of war in Vietnam and the chaos of, right? Um, you had two volcano movies at one point. Yeah. I forget what this were, Dante's Peak and whatever the other one was. Yeah. yeah, and you sort of think that, you know, somebody gets an idea that seems like it's going to strike fire or early conversations, you know, sort of groups come together and they're like, oh, we're going to do this. And then the creative differences and they break off. But somebody, you know, the idea kind of metastasizes and another studio gets its hand on it. And they're different enough that you say, well, they're different movies because in this one, it's The Rock and he saves L.A. And in this one, <laughs> you know, it's this other pro wrestler. <laughs> yeah. But he's got a daughter and it's not L.A., it's San Diego. Mm-hmm. And like... Okay, but it's the same movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think the uh, Matrix plays with some of these ideas much more effectively. But this one really gets into this sort of psychological, like, are we our decisions? You know, Mm -hmm. I think this one, the, the whole idea of tuning and making things happen with your mind is more on the nose here than than Neo's kind of ability to affect reality in the matrix. And it takes him longer to come to terms with how he does it and, you know, what he can do with it and so forth. It really isn't until the very end of the matrix that he flies, right? Which is this sort of manifestation of being able to just move around in three dimensions in this world. That's utterly virtual. And this guy almost right off the bat starts shooting 
you know, ripple waves out of his head and changing things before he even knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we're in a dark city and the, uh, the a guy wakes up in a bathtub and the whole mood here is very noir all nighttime. It comes up in the movie later that you, somebody's like, do you even remember what's the last time you remember doing anything during the day? Right. And nobody can quite remember like, Mood wise, I think this movie is hugely successful. Yeah. Um, love the look of it. Um, you know, Kiefer Sutherland, I have nothing against Kiefer Sutherland. I found what he was doing vocally, the sort of Peter Laurie, he, he did a sort of a, he's very, he wasn't going, easy. But, but it was in that general, he took a breath almost between every single word. If you, want to learn how to and i just it was driving me nuts i'm like will you please <laughs> will you please stop doing that <laughs> you know and he's got like a gimpy leg and he's like lurching along and i'm like all right you're a big actor guy just can you make less annoying choices mm-hmm. what did you did you find that irritating at all Nah, it didn't bother me too much i thought it was interesting that late in the film when uh, kind of everything is revealed and that he has, um, you know, he injects him with the, the, the hero with the thing and he has implanted all these memories in him. And it's like, he's training him all through his life and he no longer had any of those. And he didn't have any of those impediments. I don't know if it was just because he was uh, a memory or, you know, and, and he had lost that. That didn't bother me too much. Um, I was surprised at how flat Jennifer Connelly was Mm. for as good an actor as she is. I just felt a lot of times her line delivery um, when she, you know, it seemed like she was supposed to be conveying emotion and she was just very flat. I don't, I don't know if you noticed that or not, but yeah, Yeah, it surprised me a bit. It it did. Um, in other places, the movie sort of conveyed a sense of gradually rising hysteria as people kind of, if you'll pardon the term, sort of began to wake up to the thing, mm-hmm. the fact that things were weird. Um, and she, if anything, just gets more and more calm. Yeah. <laughs> the movie, and you're like, this is not the time to be this calm. This you know, weird, weird stuff is happening here. Now that I think of it, remember a few weeks ago when we did Phenomena and she was in that? It was the same thing where all yes. these crazy things were happening and she was just super calm. So maybe she needs to be, maybe she needs a director to guide her into being more demonstrative or whatever i don't know maybe i you know maybe she's just an actor that doesn't have that naturally expressive a face like you can some actors you just every little thought that goes across their mind changes the little minute tectonics of their brow and you know yeah muscles around their eyes and you, you can almost see what they're thinking right you can almost see the images in their mind and it's not that they're quote unquote doing anything they're not pulling faces you know, they're just yeah. imagining uh, in a in a projective way. It just shows on their face. It's I don't think she's a bad actor. No, but but I think it maybe if you see it on uh, on a big seventy two foot screen, 
you see it and you just don't on a smaller screen. But it does come off as a little Botoxed. I mean, the camera loves her. You you don't get sick of looking at Jennifer Connelly, and it's not just that she's pretty. There's something about her that, you know, you don't want to take your eyes off of her. You want to watch her. She's got interesting eyes. But I agree that the performance ends up being a little like, and how do you feel about that? She's like, that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <And> like, <laughs> really terrible or just kind of terrible? <laughs> I, her singing, I thought, was a little distracting, too, because it, it wasn't great. No. I mean, it, she sounded okay. But it was supposed to be she was this nightclub, you know, crooner that like held everyone wrapped and the, the direction it told the story. But when you're actually I think it was her singing when you actually listen to it, you're like, ah, it's not the best <laughs> I've ever heard. And they play that song again over the uh, closing credits of the movie. So they yeah. must have liked it. I know. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want this to turn into a bad shit. No, no I don't want to. But I didn't think that um, I didn't think the lead was cat. I, I just don't like that actor. He's got there's something about he's got kind of Ray Liotta eyes. They're big and intense, and he's got like dark lashes on the underside of his eyes, so they really pop out. But I think he's a British actor, and his American accent is okay. But it always sounded sort of like. Little a little bit Rocky Balboa to me. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I just I just thought you know, I didn't need Keanu Reeves to be in it, but I just thought as a lead, as the protagonist, I think they thought we want somebody who's plausibly a serial killer that we think of first as a serial because this guy plays a lot of villains. And and maybe we'll get a guy and then we sort of gradually realize he's not the kind of guy that would do that. But our first impression needs to be like, he's a bad actor. I'm not, you know, not a bad performer, but like a, someone who does bad things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they cast this guy and I don't know. I just don't think it quite works. His chemistry is okay with um, his wife in the film. Um, but it's not that he does a bad job. I mean, did that, did how did you feel about it? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And it's interesting that you have him as the lead and you have Kiefer Sutherland in the movie in the supporting role, a big star, um, you know, definitely a big star at that time. And I, I think he could have easily played that role. Yeah, you know? he could have played that role. And you got William Hurt. You yeah. Know, not, not exactly a lightweight. No, who who looks the part? He looks the part of the kind of hard boiled detective. Very much so, yeah. But yeah, he I, again, was good in the movie. He was good in the movie, although I I also think slightly miscast. Like he's not a Bogart, you know. He's got very fine features, and you buy him as a professor or the head. Yeah, of he's more of seems. Or, he's always seemed like more of a cerebral, yeah, kind of a guy. Yeah, and it's not that this this detective is a dummy. I mean, this detective is sharp. And there's a sharpness to him, but there's a refinement to William Hurt that I, you don't think of as a, you know, he has one line that's right out in noir that somebody makes some some comment about the case, and he's just like, I, ju- I just take what they give me, you know. And there's a kind of a like, I used to be a beat cop and I worked my way up to detective, you know. And you just don't feel that, you know. William Hurt strikes you as the kind of guy that went to the military academy and came out as a lieutenant right off the bat, you know, yeah. he never, 
You know what I mean? It just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. The cast, it's a good cast, but the whole thing feels slightly miscast with the exception of the, of the crazy bad guys. They're fantastic. Aren't they great? And the design of them is terrific. And the performances are terrific, especially that one. The sort of becomes the arch bad guy. Yeah the the kind of main guy. Did you recognize him? Um, he is Richard O'Brien. So he's called Mister Hand. So he's Richard O'Brien, and I will admit that I've never seen I've never seen it in its entirety. But he's from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh. That's where I recognize him mm-hmm. from. I do. I'm like, oh, it's this guy. But where else have I seen this guy? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And he says that too. He's like, Mister Whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he says that is great. He's he's chilling in this. He's They're really great. Very creepy. Like you said, the design of them is is fantastic, and every they everything have, about them is great. They have those kind of almost floor length. Um, they're not dusters. They're like wool coats with yeah. high wool collars that go almost all the way up to their ears and uh, black with almost flared sleeves with the big almost Russian cuffs. So when you see them, they're these tall, very slender, almost almost hourglass shaped f- figures with these black fedoras and, and just bone white skin. And they tend to show up in sort of alone or in threes. And there's a kid. One of them. Yeah, the kid, kid is even creepy. So they're different heights. Yeah. You know, there's a great big like lurch one, and then there's a more standard man size, and then there's a kid, and they're all wearing the same outfit. And the elevator door opens, and it's just really unique and creepy. I haven't seen anything. Almost Nosferatu. Yes. Is the closest thing I can think of. Um, concept, the concept being, um, that we use your dad as vessels. There's an exposition where he sort of explains the whole, you know, he just lays it out. But right from the beginning, this guy wakes up and he gets a call from the doctor. Who's like, you know, they're going to try and find you. You got to, you know, get out of here or whatever. And he doesn't know to run. Cause where is he going to run? He doesn't know anything yet. And they do catch up with him and he gets the drop on one of them. And that sort of top of the the bad guy's head gets whacked off by this you know swinging hand of a clock or something and this thing that looks like a squiddy from the matrix this glowing blue kind of um shrimp like thing sort of comes out of the skull cap and dies so that's like the literally the first 15 minutes of the movie so you you know you're dealing with something otherworldly and alien right off the bat or parasitic or something. Um, and he tunes something too, doesn't he? He's sort of like they're coming at him and he sort of goes and the floor blows up and, the, and one of them goes, he can tune. So yeah. It's like right in the beginning, you're like, what is happening? We've got mind powers. We've got aliens or some sort of, you know, parasitic alien thing. You've got this crazy you know, 19, early 20th century noirish city. I mean, it's engaging. It got it. And then at midnight, everybody sort of falls asleep and the city changes. And I think at that level, this movie stays with me because it's so interesting and feels so unique in those ways. Um, But I do think that some of the stuff the Matrix did 
a little bit more effectively um, mm-hmm. in terms of what we think of as real and what we believe we can change in the world and the way that kind of unfolds. Like this comes down to a mano a mano. And they're basically just sort of standing there, like leaning into a strong wind where they go, Ugh! you know, and these sort of CGI'd like waves come out of their forehead at each other. And everybody else is kind of like, oh, MGM, getting blown away. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I thought, I don't know, this, this could have been something more specific than just now we're shooting mind power at each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, um, so I believe for me, thinking back, I I saw this in the theater when it originally came out and I was really into it at the time. I don't know that I ever saw it again after that. Like I said, I I bought the Blu-ray several years ago and had never watched it. Um, this, this Alex Proyas who wrote and directed this, he also I don't know if he wrote it, but he directed The Crow also, which I was really I was really into The Crow at the time. And I don't really know exactly what happened with his career. He did um, the Will Smith movie, I, Robot, which wasn't great, I, I didn't think. And then he did a, uh, a Nicolas Cage movie called Knowing, which was just kind of mediocre. That was maybe 2009 or something like that. And he's only directed shorts since then. So I don't, I don't really know what happened with his, his career, but you talked about the look of this and it seems to me as if there was a period of maybe a decade or so. And I think of it starting with Tim Burton's Batman yeah, where you had a lot of this noirish Gothic, everything's black and dark, even what, um, David Fincher was doing in the nineties. So like seven and fight club and even the game, you know, you didn't have so much. These, those weren't fantasy movies exactly. So you didn't have, but where that was the mood. Yeah, that was the mood, but you had the very dark, you know, everything's dark colors and washed out and all that. And even the, the matrix very much had, had that look. And I, I was really in, into all of that at the time. I mean, those were all movies that I, that I really enjoyed. Um, so the the look I had always loved and that stuck with me remembering what it looked like um I had not remembered very much of the plot at all I just knew it was a mystery sort of and I don't know if if at the time this whole idea of maybe just because it's because of the matrix it's it's been revisited so much but I think that idea at the time of, well, you know, your reality isn't really the reality. It's something that's being controlled. Maybe when you're younger, that speaks to you more than when you're older. I don't know. Does that does that make sense? I I was really into that idea at the time and I really enjoyed it watching it again, but it didn't seem I just remember this movie as being very trippy and kind of mind blowing to me. You know, I guess I would have been in my twenties and, and I, I liked it visually and, you know, the story is interesting, but definitely is not as it didn't affect me the same way watching it this time. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's, I I might, 
I don't know. Uh, my my guess is on that would be I agree with you first of all. Um that there's probably an element of where you are in your life when you watch it, you know, when we were in our 20s, the world's still our oyster, but we're just starting to sort of discover that maybe it's not all just going to land in our lap, you know, but wouldn't it be nice if it did? Um may I think it's also sort of the times, right? Cuz in the by in the 90s at least here in America, for the most part, the economy was doing pretty good. You know, people were doing these kind of flight of fancy. They're, they're messianic stories, really. I mean, Neo is the one. There's the, they're, they're these sort of Luke Skywalker figures, you know, mm-hmm. um, that have these magical powers. And it's like, wouldn't it be cool if I was the ultimate rock star like this guy. I feel like in 2021 watching these movies where particularly this one that I think is so on the nose with, Oh, this guy's born different. Why he just, he's the one, right? It doesn't ever address what makes this guy special, but he can do what they do and just make whatever he wants happen with his mind. It, it strikes me as too easy. And at my age now, it's like, yeah, life is tough and it would be cool if you had magic powers. But the reality is you can affect change in your life. But one of the biggest hurdles is figuring out the change that you want to affect. And mm-hmm. that, you know, you're fortunate if what's really in your way of making that change is just yourself and not external factors over which you have less control. But if you find yourself in that fortunate position of like, Oh, and now I know what I want and I just need to go about identifying why I'm getting my own way about it. That work is actually pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty hard to do. Exactly. It would be neat if you could just be like put on some dark shades and like fly up, fly away and do it. But well, that's one of the things I like better about the Matrix than this movie is Neo's doubt, you know, and his he struggles with it. It just doesn't he his biggest hurdle is that he just doesn't believe he can do it. Yeah. You know, and that's very well painted on screen. Like it, and we, as the audience are right there with him and like, what you want me to what? Like every, you seem so sure of it, but that's just insane what you're saying, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, but I, I did, you know, I remember having more of a like, Whoa, when I first saw it and now I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, he does the stuff with his mind, but I was surprised. I'm like, Oh, it's just bang right off the top. It's, I didn't remember him having any, I didn't remember the powers at all. And and I definitely didn't remember that it, it happened, you know, so soon. Yeah. It, it happens right away. Um, and I, I know that- for myself with being changed, like I said, I was, I remember, you know, I, I loved the crow at the time. I, I just thought that the crow was great. And, but I know that when I was younger, I was a lot more angsty than what I, what I am today. You know, you, you get to a point where, you know, where you're at our age, where you start to, you know, when you're in your twenties, you don't ever really think about your own mortality. You know, you're pretty much immortal in your mind. And, you know, you get to a point where you start to, yeah, there's things that you're upset about and everything when you're older, but you're also kind of happy that you woke up 
in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you never feel that way when you're young. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm thankful that I was able to get out of bed. You know, if I have a day where nothing hurts. Yeah. That's a pretty good day. Like if my back isn't aching or I don't have some joint that's like complaining, I'm kind of like, I feel really great today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I you know, when you're care of myself. When you're in your twenties, you like you were saying, you think you're going to change the world, you know. And it's not that you can't when you're older, but there's so much more ahead of you when you're young. So yes, yes, yes. Um, so you know, I I feel the urge to change topic a little bit here because the other thing I've been watching in the evenings was something that you recommended. I don't re- remember if you recommended it to me on podcast. Or I did. Not. I, I yeah. I think we talked about it in the last yeah. episode. But a new, brand new cherry flavor on Netflix, a limited eight episode series. Now, did you finish it? I did. Yeah. Okay. I still have two episodes yet, so I I have not finished it. Well, I won't spoil it for you, but I I am glad that you recommended it to me. It was a little, I squirmed. It is um, gory, uh, Mm -hmm. sort of deliciously gory for people who like that kind of thing. I don't tend to. So there's a couple of times where I was like, oh, yeah. you know, like, there's oh, some gnarly stuff in it. A little more than I needed to like, oh, uh, but, but I thought that the thing really had teeth in the best way and was really different and unusual. And I mean, it was an LA story. You know, it's a story about a filmmaker that that comes to L.A. to kind of make it. And then a lot of the things, the sort of magical realism that happens in it, um, to me, is kind of metaphorical for experiences that, you know, artists might go through Mm -hmm. when they, you know, they have talent and people get excited by that and they want to own it and control it and change it. And um. I thought the performances were great and it was original and fresh. I don't know. I just really dug it. I'm thank you for recommending it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I kind of wonder if it's something that'll get a bit lost on Netflix because I don't know if it's coming up as, you know, in those where you see those rankings of, you know, here's the number one thing on Netflix and you're here, this is number five or whatever. But yeah, yeah. I, uh, some of the reviews that I have seen we're talking about it being very derivative that, that all oh, this is just like Lynch and Cronenberg and there's definitely influences there, but I didn't really feel like there was a lot that they were ripping off, you know, and, and I oh. didn't, it's definitely not as, I don't know if you, what I was saying last week where this had a lot more intentional humor than Lynch has. I, I yes. felt, you know, yeah, I mean, there I thought, were, I, it was definitely meant to be funny. It a lot a, of it. It's homage. Yeah. I mean, those are clearly influences, clearly, clearly influences here, but I didn't feel like it was, you know, some kind of a knockoff. No, no. It was very much its own thing. It felt very fresh and original. And for fans of those, I think they'd see that the film, the filmmakers here were fans as well. Yeah. And if you just like weird stuff, but it's not, I never felt it's surreal, but I never felt, and I, and I know I said this last week, but with Lynch, a lot of times I'm just like, I don't know what any of this means, what's happening. And I didn't feel that with this show. Did you, it, it felt 
you know, it's weird, but I, most of the time I didn't feel like, oh, I, I don't understand what's happening. What is, what is going on? No, I you never know? felt lost. Yeah. I and mean, there were a lot of like, what the heck moments, but sure. it wasn't, but you know, but that was just what was happening. Yes. It wasn't like, you know, a dwarf walks out of the closet, snapping his fingers after And speaks backwards, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then you go, uh, okay. You know, you just file that under the question mark folder. Um, everything here was forwarding the plot. You know, there wasn't random stuff going on. There was a lot of weird stuff going on, but, um, but not like what felt like crazy loose threads that weren't attached to anything just for the sake of being just weirdness for weirdness. Poetry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, there's a lot about David Lynch's stuff. I just don't track. And he's admitted before it's kind of dream logic, you know, it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah. You know? There's a lot um, of, uh, there's a lot of poetic realism in this. Like there's a lot of dreams, divisions and things like that, but it's pretty clearly anchored to the story that the thing is telling. Right. You know, that she, she regurgitates a kitten and it's visceral and gross but it becomes clear in the story like that's it's not a metaphor it's a literal thing but it there's a sort of a puma character and it all ties to and then you're like oh okay weird so the the thing the poetry of the imagery and the logic all starts to make sense against itself Mm -hmm. ultimately um but not not always immediately. So sometimes you're like, "Whoa, that's rando!" And if you keep watching, you're it's sort of like, "Oh no, it's not. It this is what's that is." And you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You don't. You're not left with a whole bunch of red herrings. Yeah, exactly. Had you had you ever seen the producer guy in anything before? Man, he seemed so familiar to me, but I couldn't. I didn't him. recognize him, and I looked him up, and it, I, I don't know that I'd really watched anything but i thought that guy was great he's you know he's a a prick basically but he's really funny and i just thought i really enjoyed his performance just his delivery and everything i thought was great i feel like i have seen him in something else but i can't now he's normally bald i mean you could tell that was not the guy's real hair uh but you know he has this long hair in it and and in real life he has basically no hair Uh, so he looks a lot different I'll have to look him up and see if there's other stuff that I know him from. Maybe I'll just take one moment and do that right this second. Now, did you, you know, without really getting giving anything away, were you uh, satisfied with the conclusion to it? Um, sure. I mean, yes, it it makes sense that w- when we get to the end and it ends, you're like, um, uh, okay, yeah, I I see that. You know, so I wasn't like, oh, man. Mm-hmm. But I also, I w- it wasn't like Breaking Bad either where I wanted to like slant, stand up and like slam dunk and do a victory dance. Like, woo, yeah, best yeah. ending ever, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it makes sense. It ties everything off. And you go, okay, yeah, I see. I see that. You know, now, so I it's, it's I sad. read I read a bit about it. It was based on a novel that was written in like 1994 or something like that. Uh, and they and that's why it takes place in the 90s although it didn't seem like the 90s really much at all other than the cars and you know and every once in a while somebody would be dressed very 90s but it could have been today i i felt but um 
they said they definitely they kind of used the book as a guide, but then they threw, like they said, the thing with the kittens isn't in the book. So they kind of threw in their own ideas and they said it's very much meant to be just a one and done story that, you know, I, I think every everything now, if it does well enough, it's like, hey, we could do another season, you know, but they they pretty much said we, we have really no plans to to make another season of this. And I think um it's, you know, I don't think it's like, I don't know how well it's doing, but I, I don't think it's going to be a runaway hit or anything like that. So I, even though, you know, I haven't finished it, but I really, really enjoyed what I've watched up till now. But even though I really enjoyed it, I would be perfectly fine if, if they don't make a, anything else of this, you know, yeah, I agree. It feels complete. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot, of, there's something to be said for things just being a mini series and it doesn't ever have to continue on from that or do a prequel to learn about when she was a kid or whatever, you know, it's funny. I don't want to get off track and it. I'm, this may annoy people who listen to the show all the time. Cause I feel like I'm t- always talking about this, but I just read this week. They are, going to make a field of dreams tv show and it's just like did they not say everything that was to be said in the movie you know do we really need a field of dreams tv show Uh, i I don't know with you i think i agree with you but Um, to bring us kind of full circle back to dark city i also read this week that alex proyas is uh he's claiming that he, he is working on a dark city tv show so, I mean, that could work. Yeah. Especially if you don't try and pick up where it left off or, you know, if you just take longer to kind of develop the world um, because the world is so ready to explore. Like, it's so fully formed here. Um and you could have any characters anywhere with these implanted memories, you know, and and do well, a lot with have, it, I think. You could have great fun with having the same actors be different people, right? Because that's, yeah, the, there's, it's a sort of a grand experiment. So they, they, you, the, the one that you really see is the poor couple that gets turned into a rich couple, right? They're sitting at dinner, they fall asleep, they, everything changes, they get new implants, and now they're the hoi polloi. Mm hmm. And we know we're in on it, but when we see it, there's a fun. And so, I mean, in a TV show, you could absolutely, or his, the guy who at the hotel, when he comes down, he sees him again and he's working the newsstand. And he's like, how long have you been working here? It's 25 years, no days off for good behavior. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he realizes, well, that was the same guy that was doing a different thing. So you could, on a TV show, you could have great fun with that. Yeah. And so could the actors. I mean, it'd be great, uh, great opportunity to just do wildly different performances, you know? For sure. Um, yeah. So I actually, we're, we're bumping, we got a late start tonight. So I need to kind of keep this as brief as possible. Would you recommend Dark City? I would definitely. I, um, you know, the fact that I, I don't think I was into it as, as much as I was 20 years ago, um, doesn't mean that I dislike it. I, I think it's an enjoyable film. Uh, I definitely love the, I mean, the production design in this is just fantastic. I agree. Um, everything looks, looks great. And, um, uh, 
you and you find out as the movie's going along, you know, in the beginning, it's like much like with Tim Burton's Batman, everything is kind of like, okay, what time period is this? Is it now? Is it the 1940s? And you find out later that the I forget what the the aliens are called, but they say that they kind of mixed up, even though it mainly looks like it's the 40s, I would say that they mixed up all these different time frames together. Um, but yeah, the, the look of everything in, in this is great. The, the villains are great. We didn't even talk about when they are underground and they're, you know, they're under the city. All of that yeah. looks really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the look is great. The, so Alex Proyas was a, a music video director. That's where he came from. So maybe that's the, you know, this is definitely heavier on the visuals and maybe the performances aren't as fantastic, but it's never, you never watch it and you're just like, oh, these, this is terrible. You know, no, it's, no. it's not like that. No, no, um, no. But, uh, and it's a, you know, even though, again, we're judging with 20 plus years of seeing these same, the same kind of story told, um, it doesn't mean that it's not still entertaining. So yeah, I would definitely for people that like noir kind of Gothic stuff, sure. Mysteries. Um, it's not a, it's not a super violent movie or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely recommend it. It's a, it's kind of more of a mind bender. Yes. Um, and I remember, I mean, in this landed on me again this time. So what it is, the whole dark city is this sort of experimental thing floating in space. It's yes. It's not a city on earth at all. And when that reveal happens, it's still stunning. I mean, I knew it was coming, but I was like, wow, look at that. You know what I mean? That's- the effects are very good for, there's a couple of times where you're like, okay, I can definitely tell that these are computer graphics and it was kind of early computer graphics, but they still don't look bad. Right. Especially in the director's cut where they've touched it up a little bit. Yeah. 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 And they didn't, they didn't like put in whole new things in an orange planet and all kinds of, you know, they just kind of cleaned it up. So I think the director's cut's probably the way to go. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, I def- definitely recommend. And as we were, talking about it, although I, I haven't finished it, but I definitely recommend a uh, brand new cherry flavor for people that, you know, are kind of adventurous and like pretty weird stuff. Cause it's definitely out there, but not, you know, like you just be like, I don't understand any of this. I do too. But I will also add as someone who is not a huge fan of the gore that there is fairly graphic violence in it Um, yeah and that's that's some people's cup of tea but it's very visceral this is true and it it, i i liked it and i gobbled it up and i uh watched the whole thing straight through and i thought the performances in it are dynamite um katherine keener is a longtime favorite of mine she's just loves to gobble up those lines it's so great um and I'm ashamed to admit that I can't remember the lead's name, but she's... Her name is Rosa Salazar, I believe. Salazar. She um, is dynamite. There um, is another show, and I don't want to hold you up, but um, there is another show that she is in that was made for Amazon. And I'll have to find what it is later, but it is a... 
Um, one of those, like, uh, did you ever watch any of those movies when Richard Linklater was doing the animated stuff where it was, they would do live action and animate over it. Um, there was one called walking life and then he did another one that I think was a Philip K. Dick story. Um, but anyway, I, I can't remember what this show was called, but she is in a made for, um, Amazon series. That's that same style of animation. And I watched a couple of episodes and kind of had a hard time getting into it, but I've, I've always kind of wanted to go back and finish it. And especially now after seeing her in, in this show and really liking it, I think I might go and back in, but I can't, huh. but I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, it's on, if you look her up, uh, it's on, it's on prime. So cool. Yeah. I might check that out too. Cause I thought she really did a great job carrying this. And I mentioned the only other thing I remember seeing her from was a uh, Alita battle angel. Yeah. This is an un- awkward name. And you said it's kind of a C it's heavily CGI, heavily CGI. And it's a future thing. And it's a big Spielbergian scope. Uh, Christopher Waltz. I don't, I'm not going to say it's not worth watching, but you know, I glazed over a little bit. It's just so computer generated the whole thing. Um, Including her face. That show is called, uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. That show is called Undone. It came out in 2019. Huh. Um, And it's like nine episodes. What I watched of it was interesting. It's another really trippy thing. Um, But I just, it kind of didn't hook me too much, but I, but I sort of always wanted to go back and and finish it. Um, I might check that out too. Yeah. Yeah. I Uh, I think you might be into it. Lots of uh, need different stuff to watch. Uh, it's it's exciting to have an actor that you're kind of you know gets their hooks in you, and you're like, oh, I want to, I want to now, gonna kind of go down that trail and see what other work because you know, Alita couldn't be any different from uh, brand new cherry flavor. She in the in this she reminded me of um of an angry Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, she's got. She kind of looks like her a bit, and she has that kind of deadpan thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they could play sisters very effectively. They could, yeah, for sure. Um, cool. So Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail dot com. All the socials. Do it like us. Subscribe. Five star reviews, please. Thank you. What are we gonna do for next time? We talked earlier today. We talked about. Tango and Cash. What would you think? Or maybe that was yesterday. Yeah. I don't remember. They Let's run the days. Run. You want to do Tango and Cash? Yeah, because I, I don't even remember what happens. In and it. I have to admit, I don't know if I've ever. I know I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I don't know if I've ever watched it in its entirety. But yeah, that I've should be fun. Seen it all the way through, either. Just to watch a dumb buddy action movie. I think even at the time I was, even when we were, you know, at that age, I think I kind of rolled my eyes. Out. Yeah, I think I remember thinking it was kind of dumb, but I, but I but also it's remember. And it's Kurt Russell. And I remember them doing the, like the talk show rounds back then when you just watched all that stuff, you know, and they were very, they had a really great time making this, that movie. You could tell. Well, hopefully that comes through. I've, mm-hmm. I just was reading something else recently where somebody was like, it's woefully underrated. So I don't know. Yeah. Let's, we're going to do Tango and Cash. That'll be fun. That'll be a fun to talk about. Um, This is a short episode. That's on me because we got a late start. But um, thanks as always for listening. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs>